Well, hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live today from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio, and I greatly appreciate you being here, and I'd like to, first of all, wish you a very happy, happy new year, and this is to a happy and healthy new year, and I want to help you start that out with a brand new free workshop masterclass that I've created for parents of children with autism, and as whether you've been doing this for a long time or you're brand new to the process, it can be helpful for you. And it's based on what I did to recover my own son. Many of these stages are missed with most programs. So I wanted to, to create this for you. Again, it's free and it's called the four stages to naturally recovering autism. And again, recovery is to regain health. Stage one is healing the gut. Stage two is natural heavy metal detoxification. Stage three is clearing those co-infections like Lyme's disease, mold biotoxin, strep, etc. And then the fourth is brain support and repair. So to reserve your seat for this free workshop, again, it's online, naturallyrecoveringautism.com, free workshop. Just click on that link. It'll take you there. And again, free workshop, no spaces, and um, enjoy that. I think it's going to be really helpful, help you into the new year, give you, get you started with what you need uh, to really know what you need to do to help your child recover as best that they can from their symptoms of autism. And we will be here all year to give you free natural resources here on this site. And I'm interviewing experts all the time. And today we have another great uh, interview set up for you. And today's topic is going to be on methylation. Now, I know some of you have and some of you have not heard, you may have not heard of methylation. And this is a Basically, it's a, a process in the body that's responsible for hundreds of different different reactions. But it also helps, part of that is to help support the heart, all the cardiovascular health, uh, the brain and, and all of the neurological function and detoxification, among many other things. And it's said that up to 95% of children with autism have a methylation, uh, sort of a a, a genetic variant there that's causing a weakness. And so we're going to talk today to uh, Dr. Bob Miller, who's with us. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of his background. And um, he's going to going to give us, a, we're going to go dive, dive deep for you into some of this so that you can learn more about methylation and what you need to know as a parent to help your child with it. So Dr. Bob Miller is a traditional naturopath specializing in the field of genetic spe- specific nutrition. He earned his naturopath degree from Trinity School of Natural Health and is a board certif- and is board certified through the ANMA. In 1993, he opened the Tree of Life practice and he has served as a traditional naturopath for 25 years. For the past several years, he has been engaged exclusively with nutritional genetic variants and related research specializing in nutritional support for those with chronic Lyme's disease, and he also has a research project on pandas that is being developed, and pandas is uh, streptococcal infections, and we're going to be doing an interview in a couple of weeks uh, with a uh, specialist on that one as well, Um, so definitely stay tuned. Uh, Dr. Miller is also an educator and a lecturer for for uh, various uh, healthcare practitioners around the world to support his growing genetic research efforts. He has founded the and personally funds the Nutrigenetic Research Institute to research the relationship between genetic variants and presenting symptoms. He, his first research project on genetic variants in those with chronic Lyme disease was one of two winners for research in the ILADS International Meeting for Helsinki, Finland. 
He has reached and created 65 nutritional supplements, researched and created 65 nutritional supplement products for professional health professional health products, a nutritional line for health professionals only. And the products he formulated were based upon his genetic research and is designed to support function that may be impaired by genetic weakness. So you can hear that word genetic there a lot. Um, and the methylation issue is affected by um, genetic variants that take place. So uh, Dr. Miller, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate your time. Oh, I I'm uh, my pleasure to be here and looking forward to it. And I'm hoping by the end of the hour, uh, your listeners have some interesting new insight into how methylation might be impacting their children. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to know. Um, it's very, very important. I remember going through this with my own child. So why don't we start out uh, with Methylation 101 um, for our listeners who might not even be familiar with methylation. Can you give us uh, some more background and information on it? Sure. Well, you did a great job uh, introducing the concept, but I'll just add a few more things. And it's simply the addition of a methyl group to another molecule. That could be an enzyme, chromosome, or even a toxin to remove it, or protein. And this adding or subtracting causes profound changes as they activate or deactivate the body's life code. It turns on and off genes, processes chemicals and toxins, builds your neurotransmitters, processes hormones builds your immune cells, including the T cells and natural killer cells, helps produce energy through CoQ10 and carnitine. It produces the protective coating on the nerves and helps reduce the destructive homocysteine. And when it's too high, it can cause all kinds of problems. The list goes on, but I, I'll stop there of all the things that it does. So it's pretty clear that if we're not methylating, uh, we're having some difficulties. And a lot of kids with autism have all of these issues that you just mentioned. They have uh, energy problems, uh, maybe not converting. Their cells aren't able to um, to build enough energy known as a mitochondrial deficiency. And they have hormone dysregulation and uh, and a lot of, of course, the neurological issues that go along with it. And, and the gut. I know that the methylation system also affects the gut greatly and the gut controls the brain. So, um, and, and you have also talked a bit about SAM-E and, um, and why it's important. So why is SAM-E so important in here and why do you uh, talk about SAM-E with methylation? Sure. Well, SAMI stands for acidental methionine. Now, we'll try to keep this uh, simple, not too much into biochemistry, but as we all know, we, we get proteins from our foods, and they break down into what are called amino acids. One of those amino acids is called methionine. And then there's an enzyme called uh, MAT, which takes that methionine and turns it into that SAMI, that acidental methionine. And we'll talk a little bit later about what can go wrong. But SAMI serves as an important biological function as a universal methyl donor. So if anyone goes into genetics, they'll often see an enzyme with MT on the end of it. That stands for methyl transferase, that a methyl group is being transferred. And SAMI is what primarily produces that methyl group. And it's involved in producing the neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, which of course, as we know, are, you know, can be related to irritability, aggressive behavior, and depression. It's also used by the body to make DNA and RNA and required for that methylation 
and also required for transsulfuration. And if, uh, if folks heard the uh, interview that, uh, that you last did with Stephanie Seneff, she did a superb job talking about the importance of sulfation. And it's an important precursor molecule to three main, three main pathways, methylation, transsulfuration, and aminopropylation. And it's a methyl donor in over 100 different reactions. So if we're not making our methylation working properly, then we're not making enough SAMI, and we can be deficient in that SAMI. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what can go wrong, why we might, may not make that. Now, something has been talked about for a long time, and probably most of your, you know, listeners have heard of it because it's gotten tremendous amounts of attention, and that is the gene MTHFR. And quite simply, that's an enzyme that takes our folic acid or our folate from our foods and turns it into methylfolate. In other words, there's a methyl group put on the end of that. And the, the methyl group is what's attached to that that makes the folate do its functions. And we'll just talk about one thing before the break, and then we'll finish up with that. So homocysteine is a very important molecule, but when it's too high, it can be dangerous. And methylfolate combines with methyl B12 to recycle homocysteine back into methionine so that process can go on. So uh, I'm sure after the break, we can uh, continue to talk about what else can go wrong with SAMI. Yeah, absolutely. The MTHFR gene is well known in the in the realm of autism, and uh, we need we do need to take a short break right here. This is Karen Thomas at Naturally Recovering Autism, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Please stay with us. We will be right. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas, and we are here live for you at Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Today we have Dr. Bob Miller, who is a naturopathic doctor, with us, and we are talking about methylation and its relationship to autism. And before the break, we were talking a bit about how we create SAMe, and uh, and then its its effects of why it it. Uh, there's a poor methylation impact on SAMe in, especially in autistic children. Uh, so, Dr. Miller, can you go ahead and, and finish what you were talking about that uh, with the SAMe issue? Sure. Just a very quickly review. We talked about how folic acid from supplementation or methylfolate, if we have the MTHFR gene working properly, we make methylfolate. That combines with methyl B12 to turn homocysteine back into methionine. And then the MAT enzyme turns that into SAMI. Now, I would imagine there's a lot of people listening to this who had the MTHFR measured. I mean, we've been talking about this for 10, 12 years. They've, they've probably tried uh, giving their child some methylfolate or methyl B12, and they may have felt great for 10, 12 days and then crashed and crashed hard. And that's one of the things that, from a research standpoint, we were looking at. And I'm hoping by the end of the show, uh, people are going to have answers as to, to why that happens, because it's a catch-22. We need the methylfolate, but many times it makes the situation worse and considerably worse. So that's one of the things we want to get into. But first, let me just talk about something very important, and that is histamine. Now, histamine is a very important molecule that plays an important role but in excess, it can be an excitatory neurotransmitter. It will cause your allergies. It can actually be 
the contributing factor to what are called mast cells. And we're just seeing more and more people with histamine issues. And they're trying to do that with antihistamines that block the histamine. But one of the questions I have, well, if you block it, where does it go? So one of the things we have to do is to be able to break down that histamine. And there's an enzyme called HNMT, histamine n methyl transferase, again, methyl group transferred, that takes SAMI, attaches it to the histamine, and breaks it down. And if that doesn't happen, then again, you can have another excitatory neurotransmitter that could be contributing to some of the behavioral issues uh, with the autistic child. So I just wanted to point out that's why SAMI is so important. And then what I'd like to dig into is to, you know, one of the other reasons that that uh, folate can be detrimental. And this is part of our research that we just found. And we'll try to make this as easy as we can. There's a process called mTOR, small m, capital T, capital O, capital R. Stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. Now, that is what takes all your nutrients and your growth hormones to make new cells. We didn't have that working. The sperm and the egg would never become the baby. The baby would never become the adult. We need mTOR to make things work and to build. However, there's another process called autophagy, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. And this is the cleaning of the cells. So think of mTOR as construction crew, autophagy as janitors. We need both of them. And if your listeners Google autophagy and Nobel Prize, they'll see in 2016 the Nobel Prize in Medicine was given to a Japanese researcher on autophagy. And what we're finding through our research is that there's many environmental factors that we weren't exposed to 50 to 75 years ago that is overstimulating mTOR. For example, we have plastics in our water now that are xenoestrogens. Uh, we might be getting a little too many amino acids. We're putting growth hormones in our foods. EMF may be stimulating. All the sugars are stimulating. Excess iron can be stimulating. MSG can be stimulating. And interestingly, folate stimulates mTOR. That's why pregnant women need folate to stimulate the growth. Without enough folate in pregnancy, clearly you can either not get pregnant, have a miscarriage, or have a deformity because there's not enough folate there to drive the growth. But when you're not pregnant and this mTOR is already overstimulated, this is when folate can come in and actually stimulate things a little too much. That's why folate can do well for a little while. And then people say, I'm getting inflamed and I'm getting anxious because we have an imbalance of the mTOR and the autophagy. So that's one of the main things that uh, you know we were looking at. And we actually found that in one of our research projects on, on Lyme disease, that there was an imbalance of mTOR and autophagy. And when we do our studies on autism and pandas, uh, I highly suspect we're going to find the same thing, that these children, due to environmental factors, have mTOR upregulated, autophagy downregulated. And as you know, Karen, genetics hasn't changed. I mean, we're no different genetically today than we were 100 years ago. So when we think that we're going to find a genetic component to autism, I tend to think what we're all just finding 
is those who have genetic weakness to the environmental factors that are triggering this. I absolutely agree. So many yes. people will say, oh, it's genetics, so you can't do anything about it. Well, then why did my son recover? I was told he wouldn't recover, but I wanted to see what I could do for him. And I worked with his biology naturally to support it, detoxification, the gut, the brain, the the toxins, the co-infections, clearing those things out. And then when those things were out of the way, then then he was able to, you know, the, the symptoms, I'll say, of autism went away. And if it it was genetic, that would not be the case. And what we do see is a rise in autism that has corresponded with the increase in all of the chemicals in our environment and the uh, the chemicals in um, vaccinations and the chemicals in, like I said, our, our water sources everywhere that we're even breathing daily. So, you know, I think these kids are just like canaries in our, our, our earth planet coal mine. Uh, we need to take a short break here, but when we come back, we will jump right back into this because uh, it's definitely um, what parents of children of autism need to know about And so um, please stay with us. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking about methylation and how it relates to autism. And I forgot to mention that I've created a page for you uh, to put some of the links that we'll have from the show at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 25, the number 25, because this is show number 25. And we have Dr. Bob Miller on with us today. And before the break, we were talking about the uh, the MTOR overactivation and how it affects uh, some of the, the, um, the issues that are affected by environmental factors as well and weakening the system, of course. And I also know that iron um, can play a role here. And I a lot of the parents that I work with to ask me commonly, you know, my child has been shown to be, you know, low iron, anemic. So should I substitute with iron? Should the doctor wants me to give them a bunch of iron? And I caution them for multiple reasons about too much iron and, and you know, that getting iron sources from food sources rather than um, pumping them up with pills uh, is, is a better way to go and, and balancing this out more naturally. So, so Dr. Miller, can you elaborate on that and the, the iron issue as well? Absolutely. And this is one of my favorite subjects. And I think one of the things that uh, one of the very first things that the Research Institute found, and as you had mentioned, we won the uh, research award in May of 16 in Helsinki, Finland. And what we showed was that many people who are not doing well actually have the genetic uh, variant that causes them to overabsorb iron. It's the HFE gene. Now, there's a disease called hemochromatosis where people absorb iron so much that they either give blood on a regular basis or their livers are destroyed, they get dementia, and it's a serious illness. And if not caught in time, uh, can be fatal. This genetic variant is very, very common in Northern Europeans, particularly people of uh, English, Irish, German, Swiss, uh, Norwegian descent. The thought is that, particularly in Ireland, during the times of famine, the women who had these genetic variants are the ones who actually had enough iron to have a healthy pregnancy. So by some kind of natural selection, we're actually genetic variants actually thrive because they're helpful at that time. Well, today we don't have any famine, and many of our foods are fortified with iron. Now, hemochromatosis is rare, but what is not rare is carrier status. In other words, to have an illness, you have to inherit it from both mother and father. 
but many, many people have carrier status on this gene where they over-absorb iron. That is the most common thing I see in those that are struggling. And this happens all the time. I'll say, well, it looks as though, although genetics is never a diagnosis, it's just a predisposition where you do labs to validate it. I'll say, oh, you'll have the, the gene that causes you to over-absorb iron. And their response is, oh, that can't be because I'm always anemic. Now, how can that be? Well, back in 1895, there was a doctor who was a researcher by the name of Dr. Fenton. And he discovered what's called the Fenton reaction. Quite simply, hydrogen peroxide, when it combines with iron, makes a nasty free radical called a hydroxyl radical. And if you do not clear your hydrogen peroxide properly, your iron will combine with that and make this inflammation. And then there's another enzyme called ferroportin. It's the only iron exporter inside the cell. Many of the people who are struggling have this issue as well. The iron is stuck inside the cell. And although iron is critical for hemoglobin and so many other functions, if it's not attached properly and used properly, it's one of the nastiest free radicals you'll find. And what's happening is the hydrogen peroxide has to be cleared by catalase, glutathione, and thriodoxin. Those guys can also get very busy with all the environmental toxins we're exposed to. And we can have genetic issues that we don't make enough of them. So if you have genetic issues that you do not make enough glutathione, which would have been fine 75 to 100 years ago, wouldn't have mattered. Genetics, that pattern wouldn't have mattered back then. But with all the environmental toxins we're seeing today, we can get compromised in our ability to clear that hydrogen peroxide. Then if you slightly absorb a little more iron, you've got this collision of these hydroxyl radicals, and many of these individuals are inflamed, they're toxic, no matter what they do, they can't detox, and they're anemic. Now, clearly there are people who have bleeding disorders and other things that they really do need iron. But I think there's a lot of people who blood level shows anemic, and that's accurate, but taking more iron can actually throw fuel on the fire and make them worse. So what we do in our consulting is we try to figure out, do we need to support the body's removal of hydrogen peroxide so the iron builds the red blood cells, does the things it need, rather than making hydroxyl radicals? And the final point, excess iron stimulates mTOR. And then we want to get into how mTOR and other things actually does what I'm calling the NADPH steel, which I think is, we're going to talk about why that might be behind, why we're seeing methylation issues, and why just taking methylfolate and methyl B12 also is not effective, but sometimes harmful. So if a parent is finding that their child is uh, coming up low iron anemic, and they are being told, oh, you should, you know, get the more iron, what are their choices? What do you what do you suggest is the best way to move around this, especially, you know, not really understanding directly how to reduce hydrogen peroxide in their child's body or what's going on, what can a parent do? Sure. Well, firstly, you know, we're not here to give medical advice on this show. As if a doctor says they need iron, right. you know, we're not going to tell them to, to, to disagree with that physician. But I often tell folks, you know, ask your physician, is this dangerous? Because no matter what's going on, 
iron can get too low, then no matter what's happening, you do need to take some. So common sense has to be used. But if iron is just a little low, and it's like, well, you know, anemia might be an issue here, maybe some iron would be helpful. Uh, personally, I advise caution on that. So, for example, when you do a genetic test, you can see if there is some weakness in your production of glutathione, if there is weakness in your production of thyroidoxin, if your weakness in catalase, those are the enzymes that help clear that hydrogen peroxide. And then some simple things like, are you using a, a toothpaste that has hydrogen peroxide in it? Some people wash their mouth out with hydrogen peroxide. Uh, and hydrogen peroxide is not bad. You know, it can be a free radical that will attack virus and bacteria. Uh, one of my favorite points is we, we tend to think that, uh, you know, we've got some things that are always good and some things that are always bad. Free radicals are not always bad. They can kill virus and bacteria and stimulate some things, but it's when they're in excess that it becomes a problem. Right. And it's always the case. It's always the case. So if you are, you know, under some toxic conditions, say you're exposed to mold or you're exposed to, uh, you know, heavy fumes or something like that, we're finding the NQ01 enzymes make people very difficult to detox from gasoline. Uh, all of those things could deplete your glutathione. So if you limit your exposure to toxins, support your glutathione and antioxidant production, then you might start clearing that hydrogen peroxide, and those iron levels will just bump up to perfectly normal levels without supplementing with iron. Yeah, good to know. Okay, we're going to take a short break right here, and we're going to jump right back into this when we come back. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and thank you for being here today. We have uh, Dr. Bob Miller with us, and we've been talking about methylation and autism. And um, we're going to move in now to uh, something that's really, really interesting, and it's this NADPH factor that uh, Dr. Miller had mentioned earlier. So um, I know, Dr. Miller, one of your fascinating finding is findings is that this MTHFR gene, which we hear so much in autism, is dependent upon a molecule called NADPH to function. So can you tell us about NADPH and why it's so critical? Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things that as traditional naturopaths, and you know, here at our office, we're not medical folks, we're just almost like health coaches, traditional naturopaths. And traditional naturopathy is based on the premise that inflammation is the root cause of just about every problem we have. And I was very intrigued when I listened to uh, Dr. Thea Hardy's from Tufts University talk about how he believes mast cells are a large contributing factor to stimulating the hypothalamus in autism, ADD, and many of these other problems we're seeing today. My professional opinion is I think he's spot on. I think his research is completely correct. So if that's the case, we started looking at, well, why are these mast cells overfiring? Very briefly, mast cells are white blood cells that play a very important role. They're floating around, and if there's a virus or bacteria or mold or just even injury, they degranulate and they create histamine and other inflammatory agents. Now, when that's working properly, that's a good thing. But again, when they get out of control, 
this is where people have what's called mast cell activation. And there's a lot more research to be done, but I believe that Dr. Thea Hardy's from Tufts University is correct that this overproduction of mast cells is a contributing, you know, at least a contributing factor, if not a major cause, of some of the many challenges we're seeing today with our children. So from our research institute, we started looking at, well, why are these mast cells firing? And, you know, a lot of uh, health professionals who work on this, they'll, they'll give antihistamines and other things, and, and that's okay, but as traditional naturopaths, we always want to get to the root cause. So we started digging into what's happening. Now, let's just talk a little bit about inflammation. As everybody knows, we're made up of cells, and then those cells are made out of atoms. And those atoms have a neutron and a proton and an electron that spins. And electrically, that needs to be balanced. Now, sometimes something comes along that rips that electron away from the atom, and it doesn't like being that way. So it will either damage another atom by stealing or just cause some other havoc throughout the body. We've all heard of antioxidants, and people know that they're good, but they may not know what their function is. Antioxidants donate an electron to that free radical and go over and say, hey, Mr. Free Radical, here, relax. Let me give you a spare electron so you're okay. Now, glutathione, catalase, superoxide dismutase, those are all antioxidants. What a lot of people don't know, though, is they've got, they're a one-bullet gun. They've got one electron to give, and they themselves then become oxidized. And then they can actually become damaging to the body if they're not recharged. NADPH comes to the rescue and says, here's another electron, Mr. Antioxidant. Go do your good deed again. So I was very intrigued by NADPH. So when you look at clearing hydrogen peroxide, you need NADPH first to keep recharging your glutathione and your thriodoxin to do the job. And all these antioxidants take out all these toxic substances that we're exposed to, and they need a constant supply of NADPH. Now, one of the things that our research institute is looking at right now is are there genetic factors that can limit your production of NADPH? Uh, we are just doing that research right now, and that could be a show all of, all of its own. You know, how do we make NADPH? But what's interesting is that NADPH, despite the fact that it does all these good things, there's an enzyme called NOx, NADPH oxidase. And its only purpose is to take NADPH and make free radicals. Now you would think, why would we want to do that? Well, again, free radicals aren't all bad. When the body senses a virus or a mold or a cancer cell or a bacteria, the NOx enzyme says, hey, we got a problem here. we got to zap this guy. And the NADPH is brought over, becomes a free radical, okay, the exact opposite of what it does. It helps antioxidants, but it can go from recycling your antioxidants to being an oxidant. And that's not bad if it's controlled. I give the analogy, think of this as like a police officer. If a police officer shoots at criminals who are trying to hurt people, it's good. If the police officer starts shooting the citizens, we have a problem. So we started looking at what stimulates the NOx enzyme. 
besides virus and bacteria. By the way, in animal studies, when they take out the NOx enzyme, the animal dies from infection. So NOx is not bad. But again, everything in balance and overstimulated NOx will cause so many free radicals to create these mast cells. So we started looking through the literature, and we just do literature research. I mean, we don't have a lab here, but we started looking through the, the literature on PubMed, and we were stunned to find all the things that stimulate NOx. I would encourage anybody to go listen to that interview with Stephanie Seneff, because she talked about how we're having a problem with sulfation, where the sulfites don't turn into sulfates. And guess what? Sulfites stimulate NOx. So we'll talk more after the break about all the things that additionally support NOx and why I believe that NOx overactivation and NADPH depletion is a real problem today. Great. And I will link to Dr. Seneff's interview that I did with her on this show, uh, which was num show number 24. Uh, but that is the one on sulfation and autism. And I will link to it on the show notes for this one, which is naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 25. Stay with us. We will be right Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Thank you so much for being here today. We have Dr. Bob Miller with us, and we have been talking about methylation as it's related to autism. And right before the break, we were talking about the NOx enzyme and how uh, it's involved here in methylation and uh, how we don't want to overstimulate it as well. And Dr. Miller, if you could go into also, I'd like to know, you said if it's controlled earlier, and I'd like to know if we can get into maybe giving some uh, some information to our listeners about, you know, how, uh, how you might be able to control it. And of course, I hope that's naturally. <laughs> of course, of course. So we, we spoke about right before the break that sulfites will stimulate NOx. Now, as Stephanie talked about last uh, interview, we need an enzyme called SUOX to turn those sulfites into sulfates. And she spoke about how glyphosate may be impacting that. Now, she also spoke about how important sulfation is because, again, sulfation is one of the phase two detoxes. Methylation is there as well. And it just seems though everybody talks about methylation, but they don't talk about acetylation, they don't talk about sulfation. There's five different ways that we can have phase two liver detox. But let me just talk a little bit about sulfation because it clears dopamine and estrogen. And hold on to your hat, both of those will stimulate NOx. So if you don't have that sulfation going properly, the sulfites and the catecholamines will stimulate NOx. Also, we spoke earlier about excess iron. Iron will stimulate NOx. We spoke about how excessive mTOR is now possibly very prominent because of all the environmental toxins. mTOR in excess will stimulate NOx. Histamine will stimulate NOx. Research is ongoing as to how possibly there is a relationship between EMF and overstimulation of NOx. So all of those things together might be overstimulating the NOx enzyme. And aldosterone stimulates NOx. So I think what we're seeing is there is multiple environmental factors that we weren't exposed to 50 to 75 years ago that is stimulating the NOx 
making it think as though there's a foreign invader here and having to stimulate it. So therefore, we're making more inflammation. All right, well, now what happens? Okay, so what happens then is if, remember I said, remember I said NADPH is what is needed to neutralize all of your antioxidants. Well, if, if the NOx enzyme is constantly calling upon it to take away from recycling your antioxidants and stimulating NOx, you've now taken away your ability to detox. So you see how this just becomes a vicious cycle. Your NADPH that should be detoxing is being called upon excessively to make NOx enzyme make free radicals in excess. Again, NOx is necessary. We don't have NOx, we don't kill pathogens. But it's very possible that environmental factors are overstimulating this NOx enzyme. Now, to answer your question, how do we slow that down? Well, again, we don't take this traditional medical of, well, let's find out how to suppress NOx. And this is where it becomes the 3D chess game played underwater. Because there isn't a simple answer. There isn't a, oh, do this one thing and that'll happen. What you have to do is you have to figure out, is iron in excess in stimulating it? Is high sulfite and lack of sulfation stimulating it? And I forgot to mention another stimulator is glutamate. And I believe in autism there's a huge problem with glutamate. So glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter that makes you intelligent, highly motivated, go-getter. But it needs to be turned into something called GABA, G-A-B-A. And if we do not turn your glutamate into GABA, then, again, that's excitatory. And then guess what? Glutamate stimulates NOx. So high glutamate will be a problem just as well. And I believe a lot of children dealing with autism have high glutamate. And unfortunately, this thing just feeds upon itself because inflammation will inhibit the conversion of glutamate into GABA. GABA is the don't worry, be happy, relax. And if you're inflamed, the glutamate doesn't turn into GABA. And then if you're inflamed, the glutamate doesn't turn into glutamine, which is needed to make glutathione the master antioxidant. So you see how this just feeds upon itself. The more inflammation you have, the more glutamate you have, the less GABA you have, you stimulate NOx even more, and this thing just feeds upon itself. So we have to see if there's a histamine problem. Maybe we have to reduce the histamine. Maybe we have to limit the exposure to the EMFs. Maybe we need to deal on with stress. Maybe we need to stop the MSG. You know, the monosodium glutamate will stimulate the, the glutamine. And maybe so, we need to do all of that. And maybe we need to do all of that. So I wish I could tell you, oh, yes, here's the magic bullet. Do this and all is well. Unfortunately, I call it the 3D chess game played underwater. That multiple factors, including multiple environmental factors, affecting those who have genetic weakness in that area, again, which wouldn't have mattered 7,500 years ago, wouldn't have mattered, but now it does today because of all these environmental factors. 
it's putting a burden on our antioxidant capacity, using up our NADPH because we have to overuse. Then that creates inflammation and other issues, which then may steal, and that's the term that I've coined, the NADPH steal, that very important NADPH that should be helping your antioxidants do their jobs, instead are making more free radicals. So I want to say this is all research at this point. We're not saying this is definitely what's going on, but this is what we think may be a contributing factor, not only to autism, but to the mold sensitivity, the Lyme, the Epstein-Barr, and just the mental health issues that we're seeing going crazy in our world today. Right. Even beyond autism, there are so many things going on. And I, I, I know that that's why if we help the biology as best we can in this polluted environment that we live in, if we eat a healthy diet, we eat organic, we get our feet into the into the dirt more, into the ocean, we, we you know, we clear ourselves as best we can, don't sleep next to a computer, turn off your Wi-Fi at night, things like that. I mean, there, there are some things that aren't that difficult to do. And we grew up doing, but a lot of the time we just tend to, you know, forget or we're not realizing many people just don't realize how many pollutants there are in their environment or how many of their foods that they're eating and the breakfast cereals that are loaded with glyphosate and all of the, uh, the the factors that gluten and casein, the proteins in wheat and dairy are are very contaminated and how our meats can be as well. So, you, you know, you can look at shopping locally farmers markets you can look at eating organic whenever possible and those things will definitely make a difference as people have seen it's of course not just diet alone but that is a huge huge factor in in the beginning aspects of it this is naturally recovering autism please stay with us we have one short break and we'll be right back Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are here live for you at Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Today, we're talking with Dr. Bob Miller about uh, methylation and its relation to, relationship to autism. And uh, Dr. Miller, can you give us a little bit of background uh, on, you know, you've talked about genetics, and I know that you come from a background of genetic testing, et cetera. So do you have some genetic testing or maybe some online software things, education that um, that you could share with us and, and then I can link to in the show notes? Sure, absolutely. Well, what we did is uh, we, we created a genetic test called Your Genomic Resource that is specifically for functional genetics. You know, we're not looking at the disease genetics. Most of the geneticists are looking at, you know, do you have this gene that relates to this disease? We're not there. We're not geneticists. We're looking at functional genetics. And we created a test called Your Genomic Resource, but it's only available through healthcare professionals. So if someone goes to yourgenomicresource.com, you'll see a list of doctors who, you know, do this test. And I don't know that all of them would be specialists in, uh, in uh, you know, autism, but, you know, they can give you some guidance on that. Our office is tolhealth.com. Uh, we have uh, three of us here who do uh, consulting. So the YGR test, your genomic resource, it's a saliva test, and it costs 199 And it's kept perfectly uh, safe. We don't share it with anyone. Someone can use a... A, uh, an alias if they want. And we don't look at disease genes, we look at function. And then I created my own software called Functional Genomic Analysis that is only available to healthcare professionals. So if, uh, if a healthcare professional is listening or a parent 
uh, knows of a healthcare professional who would like to do this, uh, if they go to that same website, they can get linked to it, they can do a, a free trial. We also have online education for doctors. Uh, it's a 30-hour certification course, and uh, we have conferences. We have an environmental toxin conference coming up in September, and our annual conference in November in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The one in September will be in Denver, Colorado. So, unfortunately, we don't uh, we don't make the test directly available to the consumer because it's way too complex. We only do it through qualified health professionals. But all the feedback we get is that this is going to be healthcare of the future functional, individualized support. There is no one-size-fits-all. It would be nice if we had simple solutions like methylfolate, but it's just not that easy. It's rather complex, but for those who you know really want to work at it and figure it out, uh, it can be figured out, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, uh, <laughs> it can be complex, mm-hmm. but the, uh, you know, the, the results can be astonishing. So most of our research this year uh, is going to be on this production of NAD, how it converts to NADPH, how can we make it behave itself so that it you know, doesn't get over-created into NOx to make free radicals, how we can calm down the mast cells, how we can support sulfation and compensate for many of these things that, as you said earlier, many people are the canary. They are exposed to all these chemicals. One person can handle it. The next person might have too many of them they're hit with or genetic weakness that they can't clear it and they have negative effects from all of the environmental toxins they're exposed to. Right. And once neurology is affected, we see the symptoms that are lumped together and often called autism. So thank you very much for being here with us today, Dr. Miller. Greatly appreciate this. And uh, and for if you missed in the beginning of the show, I've created a, a free new online workshop to go through the four stages to naturally recover from autism, healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, clearing those co-infections like Lyme disease, mold, and then also brain support and repair. And you can get that at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Next week, we'll be talking about natural allergy elimination. So please stay with us next week. Join us again. Appreciate you for being here. And uh, the links to this show today will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 25. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.